Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, I think it was impossible to watch NBA basketball last night and nothing of the Jazz and the Nuggets. A thrilling Game 7, a really physical Game 7, and the refs really swallowed their whistles, as is traditional, and let guys play and uh, just beat each other up. There were so many fouls and no calls. And then... You watched the NBA playoffs last night, and the Rockets and Thunder went right down to the end. And a big late block by James Harden, who had a terrible night shooting the ball, but got the block on the Thunder when they had a you know two-point game and a chance to win, and the Rockets win game seven. So the top four seeds in the West advance, but I think with these playoffs show, just kind of reinforce what the regular season standings show, there's really not much difference between teams three, four, five, and six. Now... Having said that, how much difference is there from 3, 4, 5, and 6 to the top two teams? And, you know, the Clippers really going to be able to handle the Nuggets. And I think we did see the Mavericks, you know, as Team 7, that was a six-game series. That was a good series with the Clippers. So we may see another another tight series there. And I do not know what to make <clears throat> what to make of the Rockets as they get ready for the Lakers. Both these teams seem flawed. And maybe that's it. You know, you both have some limitations. The Lakers don't have much depth. Um, maybe maybe there's a way for the Rockets to uh, to win this series, um, even though they struggled so much with Oklahoma City in the first round. We'll get to that coming up later in the show. The other game, you know, watching all the, the fouls and the no calls in the Jazz game where you think, that's a foul, no call. That's a foul, no call. That's a foul. And they're both ends of the floor. And then you see a couple of the uh, – well, I, I don't want to say they're two ticky-tack fouls. The foul on Giannis Antetokounmpo, that, that was ticky-tack. Yes, he touched Jimmy Butler. He did. He touched him. That's foul at the end of a game. Oof. And uh, before that, Goran Dragic, he was in the spot straight up and down. I don't see how that was a foul. I, I, I don't see it. <laughs> I thought that was a bad call. But in any case, Miami is now up uh, two games to none in that series. All right, we've got to take a break. Uh, coming up, the Jazz wrapping things up, uh, beaten in the seventh game. We're going to talk with Andy Baylor, right, for Bleacher Report and Forbes. And we had him on late in yesterday's show. I want to hear some of his thoughts on the Jazz as the season ended and where they are going forward. We'll do that next. BYU football with the season opener Monday. We're going to hear from the Cougars quarterback, Zach Wilson. Also from uh, Tristan Hodge coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Uh, PK, Andy Bailey on late in yesterday's show. He writes for four. Um, and covers the NBA for Bleach Report and the Jazz for uh, Bleach Report and the NBA for Forbes. And I want to get his thoughts on the end of the season, where the Jazz are going forward, and how it sets up for next year. Here PK and I with Andy Bailey. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. Game 7 is in the books. 
what went wrong, what you would you have changed. Easy enough to say if Conley's last shot goes in, it's a totally different vibe, obviously. But there's some other stuff that should be tweaked. Your takeaways from Game Seven? Yeah, this this might sound like a really obvious answer, but I don't think there's much Utah could have done differently this series. Like coming into it, I thought Denver would win comfortably because I was. Um, you know, I was in the camp that thought the loss of Boyan Bogdanovich would just be something that that Utah could not recover from. Um, then Donovan Mitchell goes out and averages almost 40 points a game for the series. So I think uh, that there's actually a pretty optimistic take on this series, and that's that I, I think we saw another step towards superstardom for Donovan Mitchell. Um, Rudy Gobert was solid. There were there were stretches of this series where he really impacted the best offensive center in the league. Um, there were there were some really encouraging moments between those two players specifically, and we know what a you know huge story the drama between those two was throughout the shutdown, and it looked like they were on the same page. Um, I think the fact that they took Denver to seven games without their second leading scorer. Um, and really their best floor spacer was was quite an accomplishment for Utah. Of course, they would (laughs) much rather be moving on. And like you said, that Mike Conley shot was halfway down, and and there's a much different vibe um, to the season if if that does go all the way down. But I think all in all, it was a great performance from the Jazz in the first round, and uh, there's a lot of good takeaways from it. Okay, yeah, I can agree with all that. What do you think needs to happen to get a little bit better, though? That's a good question. Um, it, they they did such a good job. I still think they had one of the best off seasons in the NBA last year. I, I think they covered just about every need that they had. They've got a bunch of switchy wings, which I think is really important in today's NBA. Maybe maybe you get a couple more guys who are defensive specialists like Royce O'Neal um, that you can you can spare Donovan Mitchell for more difficult matchups. And again, this is going to seem like a, a really reductive answer. But at this point, I I think to get to the next tier for Utah, it's just continued development for the two stars. Um, I don't don't think they're a team that – I'm trying to think if they should, you know, go for a third star or something like that. I, I don't really know if that's the model for team building in today's NBA. I think the Jazz have two legitimate stars uh, at the top of the roster in, in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. If Mitchell, you know, he's obviously not going to play like he did in this first round throughout an entire season, but if he's closer to that level um, next season, that takes him to, to another tier. I think maybe you have to at least explore the possibility of moving Mike Conley. That's probably easier said than done. Um, he's on an expiring contract, but it's a it's a big deal. So maybe that's not super easy to move. Mm-hmm. If he performs like he did for much of this series and, and for stretches of the season, he's good too. But when I look at that backcourt with Mitchell and Conley, I just I can't shake the the thought that they're just really small um, and defensively that causes a lot of problems and we and we've seen a lot through the first few years of Mitchell's career what he can do when he's actually the point guard um so I'm I'm kind of walking in circles here but maybe the answer is you find a way to shift Mitchell to point guard full-time hope he continues on the trajectory that he's on um and then just you know internal development is, is maybe the key so this will sound harsh but 
I think there's some truth to it, and I think it's a reason for optimism, but it starts with negativity. For all the good things Rudy does, and he does a lot of them, there was a percentage of stuff that was just wrong, and I think he cut that BS out. I think the showdown with Donovan, the COVID stuff, the, I think he decided to focus on what was most important. The fact that he said he wanted more shots early in the season, not good. The fact that they were running two post-ups per game for him in the first five to six possessions was essentially two wasted possessions. Now, I know it's wasted at the start of a regular season game. I get that. But there's, there's an underlying attitude with him that they felt – they had that Quinn felt he had to do that. It seemed like that all went away. It seemed like he went to the dunk spot, was less involved, didn't have to have handoffs, didn't have to touch the ball. He's on the baseline behind the glass, but there was zero attitude about that, which is a huge positive. And he decided to try and dominate a game from there last night. And the fact he went for uh, 19 points and 18 boards and had seven offensive boards. I know some of that is the energy you bring to a desperate Game 7 situation. But the fact that he decided to apply himself that way, I think there's a chance he applies himself that way going forward. I think that makes him a better player and a more dominant force in the NBA. Do you think he sees that? Because if he does, he'll stick with it, and that would seem to have huge upside for him personally and the team as a whole. But I'm just not 100% sure he sees that. Well, yeah, first of all, I think you're right. He he seemed laser-focused throughout that series. Um, You know, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell understandably got most of the credit, but there was a really good center battle in that series, too, between Gobert and Jokic. Um, And he, you know, I I agree with you. I think post-ups for him are essentially wasted possessions. Um, Oftentimes, him catching the ball at the free-throw line moving forward is, is kind of a wasted possession, too. He's a guy who can get big numbers just being around the rim, catching lobs, um, getting offensive rebounds. Like you said, I mean, he can still put up double-double after double-double and, and really impact the game offensively by doing that. At the same time, I've, I've kind of sympathized with Gobert uh, throughout this season because there, I, I do see a lot of times where he's wide open under the rim, jumping up and down, waving his arms. Um, and he knows, you know, if I, if I get this thing, I'm going to turn around and dunk it. And I think there are some solid excuses for the guards. You know, maybe they don't have a direct line of sight to him. Um, you know, sometimes he still, every once in a while, will kind of bobble the pass. And I, you can see frustration from guys like Mitchell and Ingles every time that happens. Um, so maybe maybe I'm somewhere in the middle on this. But I, I agree with you in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't need to be doing more offensively. He, he is an incredibly impactful offensive player. If he just sets those screens, all of the rim and dunks when he catches the ball. Um, I, I don't think it needs to be any more creative than that. That's that's the benefit of being seven foot two and, and pretty bouncy and having you know ridiculously long arms. You can have a great offensive impact without really having a ton of offensive skill. Um, and so, if he can embrace that to a to a fuller degree, and I think he has at points in his career, maybe his ascendance to all-star status has kind of made him think, well, I should be doing more all-star type things. But what made him so great is the acceptance of that, you know, very specific role. I think there's acceptance from him that's needed to do that. But I also think, um, you know, the guards are going to have to keep their eyes up. And if he's open, go ahead and get the dunk. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of the most efficient shots, even if you factor in the bobbles into the numbers, um, you know, 
the amount of points per possession that Utah gets when they go to an open Gobert under the rim is, is going to be greater than anything, save maybe free throws. Um, so there's a little give and take there, but I, I think you're right. I, I think acceptance of just I'm, – I'm, he needs to tell himself, I'm the best roller in the NBA, I'm the best offensive rebounding threat in the NBA, and I'm going to get big numbers off those two things. I'm going to be incredibly efficient with those two things, and uh, everything else will sort of take care of itself. How much left do you think Conley has? This season was really interesting um, for Mike Conley because there were stretches where it looked like, wow, this this was the perfect addition, and it happened in this series against the Nuggets. And those two blowout games over Denver, he was phenomenal. Um, and I think offensively there's there's a better chance that he can be a positive impact type of player for the next few years on that end but again I, I think you put yourself at you're just starting at a disadvantage when you have a backcourt that small um, when they updated the height before this season correct me if I'm wrong but I think it I think it took Donovan Mitchell down to like 6'1 mm-hmm. um, and his he offsets a lot of that with his wingspan and I think you can trust him on a lot of shooting guards but <laughs> If you've got him defending point guards and suddenly Royce O'Neal is on twos and Joe Ingles is, is guarding the three, matchups just become a lot easier with Mitchell at the one. When you have two guys who are six foot, six one, um, in, in Conley and Mitchell, as the rest of the league kind of gets bigger at the guard spots, I mean, there's been so much made over the last few years about how the game is getting smaller, and that's true for you know power forwards and centers to an extent. I, I think it's more you know they're adding skill than they're getting smaller. But at the same time, guard positions are getting bigger. It, it's kind of like both ends of the lineup are trending towards the middle. We're trending towards this positionless game. Um, and if you're taking on a team that has two six six guys in the backcourt, you, you just have some natural matchup problems with Conley and Mitchell. And I think long-term, you know, if, if Mitchell is going to reach his ultimate peak, which I still think is – People have calmed down on the Dwayne Wade comparisons. Um, I still think maybe there's a hint of that. Maybe there's a hint of Damian Lillard. Um, you know, I wouldn't put either of those things past him, especially after watching this series. If he's going to reach that level, I think he does it as a one. Um, and, and obviously in Quinn Snyder's offense, you can do a lot of point guard type stuff from any position. But it's more important on the defensive end because they need to surround him with bigger guys who can guard multiple positions. Um, and they can sort of get back to the defensive identity that they had in the years leading up to this one. DJ and PK, we're joined right now by Andy Bailey, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report and Forbes. Uh, I think you're spot on on your points about Conley. Uh, in this uh, playoff series, he played five of the seven games. He averaged 20 points, 19.8, but 20 points a game. He shot 48% from the floor and 51% from the three-point line and 87% from the free-throw line. It still had five assists a game. So it's not offense, it's defense. And the size matters. How much do you think that they – coaches always want to tighten the rotation to six or seven guys because in short spurts those guys can take all the minutes. But the Jazz do have genuine depth issues. How much is that a problem, and how much does that have to be priority one? Yeah, that's, that's – I mean, you asked me earlier what can they do to get better, and that's probably the first thing – to point to is, is finding somebody else you can really rely on off the bench. They hit a home run with that Dante Exum, Jordan Clarkson trade. I mean, that 
it, it seemed like kind of a no-brainer at the time, but it worked out better than I think any of us could have even imagined. I mean, he has fit so well there. But they could use, like I said just a minute ago, they, they could use a couple more you know, big, big-ish bodies uh, that they can throw at multiple wings. Royce O'Neal, I think Joe Ingles has this to an extent too, but Royce O'Neal is really the, the main sort of switchable positionless defender that they have on the roster right now, and they could they could use maybe one more guy like that off the bench. I, I'm not sure there's anybody in development that's already on the roster that could be that. Um, Darrell Brantley kind of has the height, but I... <laughs> Believe it or not, I think his long-term future might be a sort of a playmaking five if he's going to stick in the NBA. Um, so more switchy defenders could help. And, and these, these guys don't grow on trees, of course. I mean, if if there were a bunch of guys who could guard multiple multiple possessions and hit open threes like Royce O'Neal does, I mean, every team in the league is, is after those guys. So it's going to be easier said than done to get them. But, if yeah, if they could shore up that rotation a little bit off the bench it would help I mean George Niang I think has been a good story this season he's one of the best catch and shoot guys in the league I, you know every time he catches in the corner you just kind of assume it's going to go in but that's another you know huge defensive liability um, he, he works hard on that end but he's just never going to have the foot speed to, to keep up with most NBA forwards and wings so they could use a little bit more defense off the bench. It's, it's, it was really fascinating to see sort of the, uh, not the philosophy of the Jazz switch, but, but they really did go for more of a defense first team to an offense first team. I don't think they planned that. Um, it, it was just sort of the personnel that necessitated it. If, if they want to get to title contention, I, I think the next step is finding a couple guys who can really shore up the defense. Do you have any idea what the market would be for Jordan Clarkson? Good question. Um, it's incredibly difficult to predict how this offseason is going to go. Just, you know, we, we don't know what the cap's going to look like. Who knows how much not having fans for all these playoff games um, in the last, you know, two weeks of the regular season is going to impact the salary cap. What's a mid level exception going to look like? Um, you know, if it, if it comes in around where it was last season. I think a full mid-level exception was 9 or $10 million a year. I would I would guess some team would be willing to go a little above that for Jordan Clarkson based pretty much on what he did in Utah. I mean, he, he was off to a good start in Cleveland, but I, I think he showed things that he hasn't at any point in his career um, with Utah. He still had sort of a you know, go get a bucket mentality that he's had throughout his career, but it was a little bit more restrained in Utah. And I, I bet that's probably what a lot of people would look for from him. Can, can he play within the system? And I think he proved that in Utah. Um, I, I, you know, we just talked about depth. I, I think keeping Jordan Clarkson, it's, it's not going to be priority number one for the jazz this off season, but it should be pretty high. Um, his, his impact was fantastic and they need, at least one guy coming off the bench who can get some shots, especially, you know, Donovan Mitchell can't play 48 minutes a game. Um, they need someone who can kind of carry the offense when uh, he's not out there. And, and Bogdanovich will do that too when he's back and healthy. Um, but that's, this is a very long-winded way of saying, I, I think he'll probably be, you know, 10 million to 12 million a year, something like that. But, but again, the caveat is, we have no idea what exceptions are going to look like. We don't know which teams love cap space, what the luxury tax line is. Um, all of this is going to be determined whenever they figure out what the cap's going to be. 
Andy Bailey joining us, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report and Forbes Sports. So the 3-6 and 4-5 series both go seven games. Everything about the standings and the eyeball test told you those teams were all pretty evenly matched, and now the playoffs are underscoring that. But how close are those teams, and maybe it's just some of them, maybe it's all of them, maybe it's none of them, but how close are those teams to the top two in the West? Because that tells you how close you are to winning a title. Even if you go out in the first round, you might not be, there might not be that much separation. How close are they? How close are these second-round series going to be? I think they're really close, honestly. I, I think the only team that was kind of in a different tier than the other seven was the Blazers. Um, doubt, I think, you know, the Clippers beat Dallas 4-2, to two, but I think that series was closer than that. Um, there's a good chance they would have won game one if Porzingis had been ejected, and then he goes on to miss two more games towards the end of the series, and there were still a lot of good, close, competitive games in that series. And I think whether it was Utah or Denver, uh, either one of those squads was going to give the Clippers a run for their money. Um, you know, I would pick the Clippers in either setting, and I, you know, I'll go ahead and pick them against Denver right now, but I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be shocked at all if Denver won. The, the amount of talent in the West is just off the charts to the point that, yeah, there there were five, six, maybe even seven teams that I could see getting all the way to the finals from the Western Conference. So Utah is, you know, with that as the context, they're not far from contention. And as far as the Lakers go, um, I, I could see them losing to the Rockets. I would Again, I would pick the Lakers in a series between those two things, but with the variability that Houston can introduce to a game with all those threes, and they've got one of the best offensive players of all time in Houghton, again, I wouldn't be shocked to see them win. I, I probably would be a little surprised to see OKC beat L.A. because there's – I'm just, you know, <laughs> every time OKC plays, I'm kind of waiting for them to turn into a pumpkin. This has been like a season-long Cinderella story for them, and I think they've been one of the most – fascinating and entertaining teams to watch but I still just think eventually this has got to go back to the team or at least close to the team we thought they'd be before the season started maybe they'll keep surprising me um, you know I, I thought Gallinari is one of the most underrated guys in the league for years and CP3 obviously has a lot left in the tank but I would I would feel more comfortable with the Lakers in that series um, but again 1-7 through seven in the West was just loaded this season um, really really fun to watch so when we talk about Utah getting to the next tier, um, it's it's baby steps at this point. It's a you know what about Bob? Um, can they can they make one tiny little move to get there? I don't think they really need to do anything drastic at this point. Andy, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. There's Andy from Forbes Magazine and from Bleacher Report. When we come back, the Cougars getting ready for Navy. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. All right, BYU and Navy, Monday night. Uh, right now, we're going to start with Tristan Hodge. And listen as the Cougars talk about this game and getting ready for the opener of a highly unusual season. Here's Tristan. 
Justin Hodge with the media. Listening to to uh, Jeff Grimes just a little bit ago, we talked about Clark Barrington being named uh, the offensive MVP for the um, uh, you know for fall camp. I wanted to ask about Clark's growth after he was kind of thrown into everything last year. What have you seen from him as he's kind of grown and developed into into his current role? Um, uh, this whole offseason has been, um, I mean, sans the whole quarantine. Uh, he has, he's definitely made strides. He's put in all the work that he can. I can tell he's just put it in the film room on the field. And even during quarantine, you know, I can tell he was working during that entire time that everybody was apart. Um, and then through fall camp, I, I see the dedication he has, you know, through watching film, film study, all the stuff on the field. I can see he's he was really gunning for that spot. And I can see, you know, him getting it. Um, he definitely has earned it. Um, I can see that, you know, last year being thrown in, that's, that's a tough situation, but he's taken it, he's learned from it, and he's become better in the long run for it. Okay, we'll take a question from John Kuhn, Sean Walker, and Mitch Harper. Looking at Navy, that they're they're a triple option team. Likes to control the ball, on you know run run run. From from your perspective on the other side, uh, as with the BYU offense, what what is important? What is crucial for you guys to in order to make each possession count and and kind of limit their ability to control the ball like that? I'm no more like you said, it's sustaining drives. Um, it's making sure that we have the ball and that we're making good of every single position we have. And that means limiting mistakes. It's having confidence when we're on the field, knowing what they're going to throw at us, not being surprised by anything. And I understand surprise will come. Um, they'll throw something new that we haven't seen on film. You know, they'll have their little flavor of the week, as we like to call it. Um, that being said, it's making sure that we're not overly surprised. We know what scheme they're going to run. We know how they're going to play us. But it's also knowing that we have to, like, like last year, we have to be able to get in the end zone, but we have to be able to finish in the end zone and complete that and get those touchdowns, get points on the board. So that's number one for us um, is making sure that every we're going to have limited possessions. That's, that's just how the game's going to work, and it's making sure every single possession counts. Hey, Sean? Tristan, looking at the offensive line, I'm, I'm kind of – well, just the depth chart in general, I'm a little bit taken aback just by how few oars are on this offense and, and the line in particular. Is that just a function of you guys being really familiar with one another and, and kind of having chemistry, which I think, as you know, chemistry is a little bit important on, on the offensive line in general. But is, is that just a, is, do you think that'll help you guys just how familiar you are going into the season? Um. Yeah, definitely. I think the fact that the chemistry is really big on the offensive line. I mean, we're the one, we're the one unit on you know the offense that has to work five in a, five in consecutive order. We have to work together. So chemistry is really big for us. Um, you know, little thing. You know, having little things like like last year, if we have injuries and you're throwing people in, it kind of can disrupt. Th- things you know you don't really understand and acquiesce to people's play styles um so yeah knowing that we have each other um those five front five and that we're going to work that way together that chemistry definitely is huge and i think it helps it bodes well for us um on the field and it also helps you know off the field as well we've we've built that rapport with each other off the field and i think that's why um we have that chemistry on the field Tristan, since you oh go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say mitch and then jason okay uh, yeah, Tristan, since, since you came, arrived to BYU, it feels like the offense has each and every year made progress in certain areas. Where do you see, you know, from what you guys experience in fall camp, where do you feel you, you guys can make the, the biggest jumps this year? Um, I, I say from definitely from last year is, is with is definitely with O line. It always starts up front. Um, one thing you know, definitely having limited injuries and having guys with experience from last year. That, that's one thing we have is depth at the O line with experience. Um, so that's one big huge improvement that we've had, we've made. Um, we've made sure to you know fix those mistakes 
we've had last year when it comes to as a unit. Um, next thing you know, our skill positions have definitely worked this offseason, you know, limiting the mistakes that they've made. I think the offense as a whole has improved altogether this uh, entire offseason. And during fall camp, I can definitely see the changes from last season to this one and how those improvements have been um, implemented. And maybe just follow up to, for, for you personally, what's been the maybe range of emotions that you've experienced amid this pandemic and, you know, maybe no football and then having a season, just maybe describe everything that this off season has entailed for for you personally. It's definitely been the most different off season. I mean, you know, getting spring ball cut in half, uh, especially when it's a spring ball when you're coming off a, of a large injury, uh, season ender injury. So that was that was a big thing. You know, going into spring ball saying, "Yep, I'm about finally back in football." Um, having it cut short was definitely kind of a kick in the teeth. But you know, that being said, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Helped me heal even more. Um, get all those little bumps and bruises right and be right for this season. Um, I actually believe that quarantine, for the most part, for everybody on this team, actually helped. It allowed us to, you know kind of even even though you like to be together as a team it allows everybody to step back and focus inwardly um, a little selfish time to focus on ourselves and improving ourselves as individuals first um, whether it be technique film study and all that and I think that's what has really helped us in this offseason especially with me you know being able to go home and you know train under my dad and, and things like that and have some um, other outside help being able to develop myself as a player I think that's what has really helped them like, like you said, there's also a range of emotions when it came to the first week of fall camp. We didn't know if we were having a, any, a schedule. We had like two or three games that were even guaranteed. Nobody knew what was going on, when we were going to be starting. So, yeah, having knowing that we have a schedule and that, that kind of thing, yeah, it was a roller coaster. But, um, you know, staying steadfast and knowing that we were going to have a schedule that Tom was going to throw one for us um, really helped. So, yeah. Hey, Jason. Tristan, you've mentioned it, and, and it really has been a, a big topic of discussion. You talked about you know, making sure when you get inside the 20 that, that you guys score and how important that has been. What can you guys do as an offense? How, how, do, you, how do you make that change? Is it, is it overall execution? Is it being more physical? What are the things that you can do to improve in that area specifically? Um, one of the things I, I really feel like we're as a unit um, offensively, we're very physical when it comes to those situations, but it also comes down to execution, which is number one. It's making sure that you have the ball that you're running, that everybody, every single 11 person is running their job. So knowing that we have that execution um, when it comes to those parts, and it's, it, we have to re realize nothing changes for us. Yes, this is where it becomes more important. These are critical conditions. It's not letting it get to us. It's not becoming, hey, we're inside the 20, we freak out. You know, it's, it's getting to that point. It's laser focusing in and saying, hey, we're going to get these points. We're going to execute our job. And if we all do it, then we'll have success. Okay, we'll take our uh, question from Jared and then Shawnee will be the final question. Tristan, talk about getting ready for this opportunity. It's going to be a unique game next Monday, but it's a, you know, a big game, probably a lot of eyes watching, watching you guys. And so it's an opportunity in that regard, but be different as far as the type of game it is. Just describe what your thoughts as you, as you prepare for the atmosphere that'll be there and, and the opportunity that you guys have. Um, it's, it's like anything. It's always a game. It's like, we like to prepare as a nameless faceless opponent and to the point that it isn't. Um, so for like the first point of foul camp, we focused on ourselves as an offense, getting better there, but you know, now it's game time, you know, we're starting to get into those game planning things. It's definitely gonna be weird. I mean, having no fans, it's going to be 
for the most part empty. Um, it's going to be kind of, fe- it's going to feel like a scrimmage because we never have fans there. But that being said, it's still a game. We understand the importance of it. We know nothing really will change atmospheric wise. I mean, at the end of the day, I usually block out all the fan noise anyway, because when, when, when I'm on the field, it's just me and my boys. Um, so I think nothing will really change execution wise or mentally um, when I get onto the field. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely very exciting. It's a, a, a weird opportunity we all have, I mean, due to COVID. So it'll be a, it'll be really interesting to see how it turns out. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm excited. Hey, Sean. Yeah, Tristan, this is a little bit of an awkward question. And I, I asked this with, with Kyrus and it was maybe a little bit awkward on my part, but um, school starting for you guys this is the first day of classes. And if I remember correctly, you're now a graduate student. You eventually got to get that PhD, I've been told. Um, but have you, outside of even like kind of the football thing, have, have you noticed just some kind of changes in campus and how students are approaching campus? Um, I don't know if classes feel any different. Maybe do you have like a lot of online classes or, or are things or, or, or is that just kind of part of the drill still at this point? Um, it's like, like always, it's always scheduling, you know, my schedule is always full. I have all online classes. Um, luckily the uh, MPA program is flexible that way. That being said, you know, riding on campus today, the main parking lot is pretty empty, um, compared to how it usually would be during a regular school year. So it was actually really easy to find parking. So I can't complain about that. Um, that being said, I mean, there's definitely a different dynamic when it comes to campus. You can definitely see, you know, it's awkward seeing everybody with masks. You don't see faces. You can't see people smiling or in this case, I guess they're not smiling with those masks on um uh but yeah you can definitely feel there's a, there's a tangible difference um in everything going on but it doesn't disturb me much um it's at this point i kind of gotten used to how the world is working right now so just going along with it no changes to my demeanor or anything like that there's christian hodge with the media now here is zach wilson the media with the byu quarterback zach uh you're coming into this this season healthy not not having an off-season surgery like the previous season how much of a difference has that made in terms of just your preparation and and getting into a groove with with learning the nuances of the offense and kind of working on different things yeah it's huge you know everyone wants to play at 100 percent um you know, last year was just rush, you know, no excuses. Obviously I, I should have, you know, done better and, and all that last year, but it's nice coming to this year healthy. You know, I'm, uh, I'm super excited that I finally have the ability to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm strides ahead of where I was last year and, and even my freshman year when I was healthy and, um, you know, I'm super, super excited for this first game. Hey, Jared or Mitch, either one. Zach, congratulations on earning the starting job. Knowing how good Baylor and Jaron are, you, you you know them probably as well as anybody, just how good they are. Having Coach Grimes and coaching staff say you earned the starting job with your performance in fall camp this year, what does that mean to you to have been able to do that with such great competition? Yeah, you know, it, it just leaves it with no doubt. Um, you know, I think it shows your teammates, uh, your coaches, that you're willing to work for it. You know, that's how uh, every spot in football, I think, should be. You have to earn the right to play and, and earn the right to play well. And, um, you know, competition just makes everyone better. And so I think uh, that's kind of what we got out of this whole process was was uh, the coaches want to play the best players uh, that they can. And so competition always brings out the best players and everybody. Hey, Zach, this is your third uh, preseason or- – lead up to a game how would you compare the readiness level of the team for this game a week out as opposed to the last two years 
Yeah, I'd say we are, uh, we're definitely a lot further ahead than we've ever been. I think a lot of that has to do with the experience. We have a lot of guys that have played um, in multiple seasons now, and we have a lot of experience coming back. And so when fall camp started, you know, we kind of just hit it in stride. And, and uh, you know, the details of practice and everything was just a little bit different. Everything was a little bit, uh, you know, next level stuff. Everyone kind of uh, understood the basics, and, and that was kind of expected going to fall camp, not, not really restarting in day one, but – but growing from day one and, and saying, okay, well now what's the next step of how we can make this even better. And so I think the team is, um, you know, a lot further ahead than where we've been and, and I'm excited to get going. Okay. We'll take questions from uh, Jason, Jay, and John. Zach, obviously year after year, there's, there's turnover with, with guys graduating and moving on. But when you look at what the offense has around you, how would you describe the weapons that you have at your disposal this season? Yeah, I would say playmakers. I would say that's one of the biggest things BYU has um, been known for as, as far as lacking. And, uh, you know, this year I think we have some playmakers. We got, you know, young guys now stepping up into their third year, now upperclassmen that – you know, just getting the ball in their hands, they're going to make plays. You know, even guys that you don't talk about as much with this O-line is, is a really good O-line. They're going to come through and um, be one of the most dominant O-lines in, in the country, I'm sure. And, um, you know, these guys have, have really put in the work. And so, you know, I would just say that everyone in every position is just making plays and, and they're doing their job. And, and I think that's what's most important. When people talk about Navy, for obvious reasons, a lot of people just focus on the offensive side of the football. But their defense – took a took some big strides last year and i think they're looking to continue that when you look at the midshipman defense what do you see yeah a lot of chaos i'd say that's what they try and create right and uh you know, they were ranked, I think, 16th in the country last year in total defense. And, um, you know, they cause a lot of problems for an offense. And uh, you got to be disciplined in what you're seeing and what's going on. And, and you got to have uh, the ability to, you know, make make the best play that you can on every play by by understanding what they're giving you. And, and I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing they're doing is just trying to cause havoc. They're trying to, you know, get pressure, um, bait you into throwing something you probably shouldn't be throwing. And so uh, they're a well-disciplined uh, team. Okay, Jay, and then John Kuhn, and then Mitch Harper. Hey, Zach, uh, Ed Lamb said today that uh, no players were opting out. Uh, I know you personally, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't do that. Uh, I mean, obviously you love football so much, but have you had to talk any players into not opting out, or has that kind of been pretty unanimous? Yeah, I mean, the whole opting out thing is their, is their personal choice. You know, I would never try and – you know, feel like I'm putting someone at risk by, by, by trying to, you know, urge them one way or the other, as far as that decision, you know, I feel like, uh, it was never a decision that actually came, came to, and actually had to be discussed. I feel like we asked the question one time of guys that felt like, um, you know, not playing the season would have been an issue and, and not one person stood up and said anything. And so, um, you know, if someone did, you know, that's their own personal decision and that has to do with, you know, the ones they live with their family, their choices, you know, any, any other conditions that they have. And so we would all respect that, but, um, you know, it was, it was never really something we had to talk about just because, you know, the guys are all bought in and, and ready to go and they understand the, uh, the risk that we're taking. And, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it, worth it to play some college football. Zach, you know, look, looking at Navy, the, their uh, ball control offense running the triple option, they, they like to pound it, pound it, pound it. From, from your perspective on the other side, with your with BYU's offense, how how much of a premium does that put on extending drives on your end and finishing drives when you know that 
that they really are kind of a ball control style with how they play. Yeah, you know, you got to be smart as far as, uh, you know, controlling the field. We can't, you can't go three and out multiple times in a row. You can't, um, you know, just keep stalling on drives. You got to have extended drives, whether you score or not. You got to be able to hold on to the ball for a little bit. Um, you know, turnovers are a big one too. Teams that turn the ball over against ball control teams are the ones that lose it as well. And a uh, big focus for us is, is just not getting, you know, stiff on the sideline while we're waiting to go back up on offense and, and you know, trusting in what we're seeing and, and being able to still come out and make plays after sitting on the bench for a good 15 minutes or whatever it is, is uh, we need to be able to, to be ready at all times. Zach, I, I apologize if this was asked already. It came in late uh, at some dino nuggets. I had to get my kids 2020, I guess. But uh, um, I'm just curious, you know, being a quarterback, number one, it's it's a it's a difficult work. You got to put in a lot of work to get to that point. Just maybe describe the the work that you put in to uh, get back to this point, to being the starting quarterback and, and lead this program in 2020. Yeah, you know, whether or not, you know, they said I was uh, the starter from day one last year, year or, or it was a competition this fall no matter what you know the work that I put in this offseason was going to be exactly the same as what I did this offseason I think that just you know that has to show as far as your character and, and your personality that you know never get complacent with your spot and never never take it for granted and never think oh well, I'm the starter so I need to you know I can I can chill a little bit but um, you know every offseason is, is an opportunity to uh, take it to the next level and um, achieve new goals and, and you know maybe striving to be the number one on the team but now it's striving to be uh, one of the best in the country or, or whatever it is. And so um, the offseason preparation was going to be the same no matter what. And so, um, you know, I wanted to give everything I could to help this team win this next year. A lot of talk has been made about the offensive line. Just maybe speak to the growth that room has taken in fall camp. A lot of returning experience, what those guys mean to you. Yeah, those guys are uh, studs. You know, all of them have had some playing time now, a um, couple years under their belts. And, um, you know, I'd say the biggest thing with the O-line is is how close all of them are, their connection. And um, I know they're always going out there and watching film together and, and studying the playbook and um, coming out and walking through plays, whatever it is. But all of them do everything together. And I think that's that's really important right because it's all one unit and um, they all rely on each other and I would say that's that's huge you know those guys those, those guys all trust each other and want each other to be the best they can be and so um, you know I'm excited to watch those guys ball out especially on Labor Day. Zach you've always embraced the big stage and this is maybe the biggest stage you'll get this year you know playing a, a team that was ranked last year on Labor Day on ESPN all of that so I imagine that there's definitely desire to make the most of that how do you balance that with you know, not getting caught up in the moment or getting, you know, away from yourself. How do you find that balance between making the most of the moment and not getting carried away by the moment? Yeah, you know, it's always, you don't want to take the highs too high and the lows too low. You know, you always kind of want to be balanced in everything that you do. And uh, especially as a quarterback, you got to be level-minded. You never uh, read into the outside noise. You always just trust the teammates around you. You listen to your coaches and uh, you got to do what they ask you to do. And, um, you know, even though we're probably going to have tons of people watching our games, it's not going to feel like that when we're playing against Navy. The stadium's going to be empty. It's going to be uh, probably feeling kind of like a scrimmage. And so that's really the time we just dial in. You don't worry about that other stuff. And, you know, you uh, – you just execute. I think that's the biggest thing we got to focus on. Thanks, Zach. Zach, I wanted to ask you, you've been here, this is your third season at BYU. You've been here along with Aaron Roderick and Jeff Grimes for their run here as well. How different is this offense going into this year than it has been in previous years? Yeah, I'll just say uh, getting a little bit closer to finding that identity. You know, I think we're there and I think we know what we want to do. 
um, as far as just schematics. And um, we have the players that we've had over the last, uh, you know, it's the third year for a lot of us that are playing still. And, um, you know, I'd say the progression as an offense, the maturity comes when you hit about that third year. And so, um, you know, I feel like everyone's dialed in with what we're doing. Everyone, everyone knows what we're trying to accomplish. Everyone knows, you know, the game plan, exactly what we're trying to do. And so, you know, I would just say the maturity of this the offense is so much further than it's ever been, and everyone's everyone's ready to get going. Specifically, I wanted to ask you about the offensive line. What have you seen from their progression from last year as compared to this year? Yeah, huge. You know, the offensive line, um, you know, the big boys up front have guys that have had experience, like I mentioned earlier, and, um, you know, they're getting after it every single day. And, um, you know, physically, size-wise, those guys are huge. And, you know, they're all freak athletes. I see them out here running 40s, and, you know, they're getting under five flats. And, and you know, we got some strong, powerful dudes. And um, just a camaraderie with all of them and, and, you know, the rest of the team is, uh, you know, those are the guys that set the tempo in the game. And those are the ones that come out and smack you in the mouth first. And so, um, you know, their, their progress from last year, you know, is already huge, you know, just talking to some of the D linemen, I talked to Kyrus about it and he's like, you know what, the O line, you know, they're really getting there. They're good, you know, compared to last year. And so, um, you know, I'm glad I wouldn't want anyone else up there protecting me. So who's your quarterback, Zach Wilson, when we come back, what is trending all the headlines stay with us.